This message is brought to you by DoNotAge.org, the longevity research organisation that's on a mission to extend health span for as many people as possible via products that actually work. Start your journey today at DoNotAge.org and use code LAMA for a 10% discount. That's L-L-A-M-A. Standing work of one hour is 46% more productive than sitting. That doesn't mean we stand for eight hours. But this movement is actually going to make you more productive and more focused than if you just have people sitting and staring at a computer for hours on end. Hello again and welcome to Llama, the Live Long and Master Aging podcast. I'm Peter Bowes. This is where we explore the science and stories behind human longevity. Now, I've been using a stand-up desk for a period of time, a walking desk too. That's a desk mounted over a treadmill. Using them for almost a decade now. And looking back, it was a little crazy, but I gave a talk at South by Southwest in Austin, Texas a few years ago while walking on a treadmill desk. And to this day, I am convinced of the benefits of continuous movement, especially While working in the office, you've probably seen the headlines. Sitting is the new smoking. Too much sitting is harmful to our health and could shorten our lives. Well, is that really true? Our guest today from Nashville in the US state of Tennessee is Stefan Zavlin. Stefan is a physical therapist, a self-described movement enthusiast and work culture consultant. Stefan, welcome to the Live Long and Master Aging podcast. Thank you. I am beyond excited to be on today. It's really good to talk to you. Uh, sitting is the new smoking. That line has been around for a while, hasn't it? So maybe it isn't new anymore. Was it ever or is it still true, do you think? Oh, absolutely. And just to give a little bit more background on what that line says, because some people may say, wow, that's that's a little bit too extreme. The idea is that prolonged sitting and the effect that it has cumulatively on our health and sort of all the other things that can happen to your body, the the obesity epidemics and things like that, it's that is causing all of these issues. So it's not thinking of if you sit too long, all of a sudden, you know, you have issues with your lungs or anything like that. Uh, but the idea is that the amount that it impacts you in the long run is equivalent to that of smoking. I think it was Dr. James Levine, who he's certainly credited with saying that first. And I interviewed him back in 2013. And he said there was evidence, overwhelming evidence that suggested that prolonged sitting is shortening our lives and that computer and gadgets, the use of them, was probably to blame for a large section of society. Well, almost a decade later, we're using more and more gadgets. I'm curious, do you think the impact is even worse now that uh, too much sitting and the use of gadgets that really stop us from moving around? Do you think that's really making matters worse? Yes, but I definitely feel that gadgets and computers are here to stay. And so a lot of times I feel that um, you see those kind of articles and uh, statistics paired with get your kids off the phones and stop looking at the TV all the time. I, I don't know if that's realistic given to where our society is headed. So maybe we just need to change how we're using them and what we're doing while we're using them as opposed to that uh, actual stopping the complete use of them. But there's definitely a portion of it. Another thing to consider is that we used to have a lot more manual intensive work 
and now it's more knowledge and idea-based work, which we do on computers and gadgets and all those sorts of things. And so inevitably, we're just doing less movement as a result of that as well. And I like to be optimistic about technology and gadgets. I use a tremendous number of them. And of course, a lot of them can actually help us with our movement. They can guide us through the day and give us very valuable feedback. Absolutely. Um, and I like using them. And there are so many different ways that you can use them. A lot of times people think, oh, I may not have the money to get a, a Fitbit, a Whoop, or the, the Aura Ring. Now it's going to, to, to that point. Your phone, um, even some of the most basic smartphones already have features to count your steps uh, and to give you some general ideas about those. And also the slew of free apps that you could use. Uh, it's definitely there, but we have to always view this in a sort of objective manner of if, if you don't actually get up and move, the app isn't going to do it for you, unfortunately. Well, I want to, uh, with you, dig deep into the issue of movement and exercise. But let's just talk about you for a second. You are in Nashville, beautiful city of Nashville. You're originally from Russia. I'm curious about your journey from Russia to the state of Tennessee and, and what brought you to physical therapy. Oh, to make this story short, because it is a rather long one, uh, <laughs> we initially came over because my dad got a job offer. My dad was a theoretical physicist, and uh, he had the choice between Paris, France, and Nashville, Tennessee. Um, so there you go. I guess that, that was the choice. I think it was more of the choice between the United States and uh, France. What age were you then? I was seven when we came over. Um, and so it was an interesting thing to actually loop everything together is, when we came over, we were always very active because in Russia and uh, we were from Moscow, the capital, you have to be very active. You're always walking to the store and public transportation is almost a must. You don't have a car. You don't need it by any means. So there was a lot of movement and our whole family was really based in this kind of movement. And once we got to the States, slowly but surely, this kind of other culture almost took over. We were sitting a lot more in school. Uh, my mom experienced the same thing when she started working and she first went to school and then worked. She sat a lot um, and it, it sort of progressed in, in that manner uh, to the point where in about fifth grade, I said, I don't want to do gym anymore. I think it's boring. Partially maybe my gym teacher was to blame, but I decided I was going to join orchestra because if you were an orchestra, you didn't have to go to gym. And that kind of started me on this path of, all right, I don't really have to do physical exercise. It's not that important to me. I'm going to be a musician and that's just what I'm going to do. That's just throwing in a personal note. That's a very familiar story to me as well. Oh, uh, and I okay. had lots of friends at school who made exactly the same decision. In high school, obviously, you have the whole peer pressure aspect. And my parents were starting to make comments about my weight. And so I said, I got to do something about this. But I had no idea what I was doing. So I I kind of tried to learn things, but they, they weren't really good. I just tried to move more and eat less. But that meant that I was eating nowhere near enough. And then I would binge, which was a terrible idea. And movement, I just said, I don't know, I'm going to go run. Um, and thought that I was doing the right thing. Um, and slowly, sure, it had some effect. Uh, by the time I got into undergrad, I realized, okay, maybe I kind of like the gym. I still don't know what I'm doing. I want to learn more. So I got into kinesiology, effectively exercise science. And at that time, I was started a CrossFit club uh, at the University of Maryland, and I was running anywhere from three to four workouts a day. And I thought, oh, this is great. I'm doing wonderful. Um, and I loved it. I really did with all of that movement. But at the same time, I was sitting for the rest of my classes, for my homework, and for all these things. And then finally, when I got into grad school, I picked physical therapy partially because I thought it was incredibly interesting to be able to influence our body through motion 
um, and just hands-on techniques, but also I thought, I want to do something that keeps me standing. I don't want to be sitting the whole time. But even in grad school, where you have teachers that are lecturing you and that know all of the physiology, and students, we had 60 students in the class that understand that sitting is bad for you, only two or three really kind of stood up, and they were more of the oddballs in the class. Um, they, it wasn't your normal kind of population. And so finally, when I got out and I got into the clinical world, I just realized most of us are just going to be sitting a lot of the time. And if I look back at the 20 years that I spent kind of going through school, undergrad, grad school, all that, I've just been trying to sit, sit, sit the entire time. I'm just curious, uh, you say you were seven years old when you came to the United States, so maybe you were a little bit too young to really at least now have good, strong memories of what it was like to live in Moscow. But I'm just curious if you do, whether you noticed or on reflection have noticed cultural differences between the United States and Russia as it applies to physical exercise and movement. Absolutely. And I've been back since, um, so I can definitely speak to that. It's different in the sense of you can sometimes notice it in much larger cities that have public transit um, in the United States. It makes a huge difference for how busy people are, how fast-paced the people are. In Moscow especially, people just felt a little bit faster-paced. Everybody walked much faster than they do, especially down here in the south in Nashville, Tennessee. Things are generally, the culture is a little bit slower with all that. If you go to New York, you will notice the same kind of uh, pace. Um, and in general, it seems that that's the sort of uh, distribution is northern states tend to be a little bit more active, a little bit faster, and they also tend to have uh, some public transit. I will also say that the vast majority of Russians um, have the best term for it as a vacation house. Um, it's nothing lavish by any means, but it's more of a country home where you usually have a large garden. You usually, you know, grow uh, veg fruits and vegetables there. And so that's just part of it. On your weekends, that's where you go. You don't sit around the house. You go and you work uh, on that house and you do those things. And that was very much part of the culture um, as, as long as all the movement uh, was there and things weren't just easy to get to. You always had to walk and uh, to get to places. Yeah, interesting. And, and what about diets? You, you're living in the American South now, which isn't particularly known for its uh, positive, uh, healthy diet. It's far from the Mediterranean diet. But comparing this Russia and the US, just more broadly speaking, is there anything that stands out to you? Uh, definitely. And what I will say is there is um, coming more and more of this uh, Western influence into the Russian diet as far as processed foods. Um, if we go back now, I, I just noticed that quite a bit. But uh, in general, it's a lot more whole foods. Um, it's a lot. Ingredients in foods are very, very simple and few. Uh, you can usually pronounce all of them and you don't have to question if you need a degree in chemistry for it. Um, so and it's it's usually very, very simple in terms of just home style cooking. It's nothing very fancy. But what I will say is people eat a lot more in Russia, strangely enough. you. Uh, but I think it's because there's so much more movement. Most meals, you have courses. Um, of You usually start out with a soup, then you have your main course with a side salad, and then you finish off with a tea. After pretty much every meal, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, it's tea. And tea is usually with some sort of sweet, but not a, a whole lot of them. And that's consistent. I remember when I visited back, I just thought, I can't, I can't keep eating like this. This is too much. And yet everybody was relatively slim. Which perhaps explains why a good combination of exercise and a wholesome diet, a healthy, wholesome diet is, is not such a bad thing. 
Absolutely. Um, and I think uh, you've had several people that, that have kind of said that this is not the one thing, that there's multiple sort of pillars and other words that they have used that really support it. Absolutely. There's, there's a balance in, in all of it. So let's talk about movement. You've mentioned it already. You're a movement enthusiast, and I understand now why that is. I hear these days a lot of doctors, increasing number of doctors referring to movement, almost prescribing movement, as opposed to exercise. Now, we might be just talking about words here, replacing the word exercise with movement. I don't know whether it's a, a kinder sounding word, a little softer, a little easier, a little bit more cuddly than sweaty exercise. But how do you see it? Is, is movement what we need to encourage people to do? Absolutely. Um, I have a slide in one of my presentations that I really like, and it, it may sound a bit extreme, but I usually like to say that uh, movement is life and to move is to live. And you can really break it down to the point of even just biology. Even when we're sleeping, there's still movement going on in, in our bodies as far as our cells recovering, our brain lights up in all these different ways. But the more that we're able to move, the more sort of life that we, we tend to have. And that's the key word there is movement. Exercise is a variety of movement, but movement is not just exercise all the time. And that's where I think a lot of people misunderstand some of the messages that I tend to give is when I say we need to move more. They go, okay, I need to exercise more. And I go, no, 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 no. There's only so much that you can actually do in terms of exercise. If you were to exercise four or five hours a day, that would be exhaustive for you. That's not the point. Um, and I think that a lot of times exercise is a lot more regimented. Movement is not as perfect. We don't move with, we don't lift perfectly balanced boxes. Um, we don't move in these perfect lines. There's usually a little bit of a twist, a little bit of a lean. And when people exercise but don't practice those imperfect movements, we see a lot more injury because they've only practiced one very specific pattern. And unfortunately, life is just, it's not a perfect pattern. So let's go back to what I see really as, as the root cause of that lack of movement in people's lives. And it is the the office lifestyle. And, and let's face it, a huge number of people either go to the office or these days have their own home office. And it involves doing exactly what you and I are doing right now. And that is sitting in front or standing. I see. I think you're standing up. I'm actually sitting down at the moment, much as I spend most of my day in my main office standing up. My studio isn't ergonomically designed yet to stand up. It will be hopefully fairly soon. But the, the point is, most people do sit down and look at that computer screen because they have to. They've got to get the work done. So how do we begin to tackle the problem with those people? And we'll continue this conversation in just a moment. Hey, quick question for you. Are you someone who wants to be fit, healthy and happy? And what if I told you you could get your dream body by simply just listening to a podcast? I'm Josh. And I'm KG. And we're the hosts of the Fit, Healthy, and Happy podcast. Listen, we get it. Fitness isn't easy. Carbs, no carbs. Just stop, okay? It doesn't have to be that complicated. And that's why we made this podcast. We get straight to the facts so you can become your best you. So the way to check us out is click the link in the show notes or search Fit, Healthy, and Happy podcast on any of the major podcast platforms. We'll see you soon. Sure. And a lot of companies, when we tackle this, they go, oh, we have ergonomics. We've got a, a specialist for it. We have a perfect desk setup. And yes, having a good desk setup helps, but that just helps you sit better, if you would. It doesn't actually help reduce the amount that, that you're sitting. And I think where it starts is you have those people that have the internal motivation of, I know I'm going to take the stairs and I'm not going to use the elevator. I'm going to do the standing. 
and um, I'm going to push it for myself. But really, we need to change this kind of culture of the acceptance around it. Can we make it more of a team thing? To all right, we're on Zoom. So many people are on Zoom and virtual calls nowadays. First five minutes of a meeting, can we stand up?、Um, or can we have if we're doing a one-on-one meeting, can we walk while we do that? I've even had some people that do that with Zoom. Is they're just on walks and they're talking to each other. So if we can slowly incorporate it into more of the culture, then putting it on the employees and saying you as an individual have to do this and kind of create this culture around it to where we're all doing this so that we can help ourselves. That's I think where we're going to have the big improvement. Undoubtedly, the question that comes afterwards is okay, great. So you're asking people to not do their work and stand up and move. Not exactly. So, if we compare sitting and standing work, standing work of one hour is forty-six percent more productive than sitting. That doesn't mean we stand for eight hours. We're not going to be able to tolerate that. That's going to be quite painful. But it's understanding that this movement is actually going to make you more productive and more focused than if you just have people sitting and staring at a computer for hours on end. I think that's a really fascinating point, and just purely. From myself, anecdotal evidence there that even before I really started to spend most of my time standing and, and working, or even walking and working, oftentimes on an important phone call, I would get up out of my chair and pace up and down in the office to have the conversation. It wasn't because my brain was saying you need to move around; it was because mentally. I was better able to focus and deal with the phone call, especially if it was a, an important phone call, a, a difficult phone call, by standing up and moving than actually sitting down. And I think that does go to exactly what you're saying: that we can perform better while we're moving. Absolutely, and there's there's definitely a lot to it, but we can only adapt things so far.、Um, I, I like to bring in a couple caveats because people go, "Oh, I'm just going to stand up for all my work." If you've been predominantly sitting, you can't maybe even jump to 30 minutes of standing. That might be too much for you.、Um, there was an interesting study that looked at overweight and obese individuals, and their fine motor controls were reduced when they stood up. That basically means that if you're doing something like using a mouse or writing something very, very specific, if you stand up and you happen to be overweight or obese, your ability to do that accurately drops a little bit. It wasn't drastic, but you have to understand that maybe your productivity. Might suffer a little bit initially, and、uh, we kind of have to address that on a case by case basis. So maybe you stand up for just ten minutes. Maybe you just start by taking your phone calls, standing up and walking around. But all your other work, you do this way. You can't completely revamp all of your work in one go. It has to be the slow building、um, of habits, kind of how you're saying, finding the ways that work for you. Yeah, and I would maybe even go a little further and say that if you are obese, or if you have some underlying health problems, that the first thing you really ought to do is speak to your doctor or your professional health advisor and just discuss it and say, look, maybe I'm thinking about standing up for part of the day or or even walking part of the day while I'm working, and just get that medical opinion focused on your very own unique needs because we're all different. Absolutely, and you、uh, frequently make a point on on this podcast to say, listen to it. And then think about how it applies to you. Don't just throw it into your life without thinking it and discussing it with other healthcare professionals. This is just meant to guide you along to think, okay, what's going to be my next step possibly?、Um, and it may be standing up. It may be just that walking around. It may be taking the stairs. It, it could be as simple as that. A lot of us are work from home. One of my favorite things to do is I stand up and I do a chore. So maybe I take out the trash or I sweep the kitchen. 
that's still movement. We talked about difference between movement and exercise. Your body doesn't know the difference to it. It's it's moving, so it's happier. I think it's interesting also to to learn about your own body and your own mind and the kind of activities, as you imply there, that you can do while you're moving. Some are easier than others. Some activities, some work activities that are very intense are actually quite difficult to perform when you're moving, especially if you're used to sitting. And maybe that's the part of the day that you stay sitting and figure out for yourself those desk activities. There are certain things we all do that are fairly mundane and mechanical. It could be synchronizing your accounts. It could be you know, writing a check. It could be fairly easy stuff. It has to be done. That's the kind of stuff that I initially found easier to do standing up because it didn't involve too much mental effort. Absolutely. And, those, and I feel that I may at some points be scrutinized as the guy that if you ever sit down, it's bad. No. It's just that we're probably sitting down too much overall and let's reduce it. And that's the other part of where I said uh, sometimes people misunderstand the message as exercise more or move more. Truly what I want people to think is sit less. Um, it's not about getting up and doing more and doing something else. It's finding those ways you can adapt your home and your work to just sitting less, which yes, you're doing very much the same things, but it's almost a mindset shift of, I just need to do this activity a little bit less. And inevitably that's going to force you to stand up more, to walk around more and maybe do some exercise. And of course, moving around more doesn't just apply to the office or the home. It applies to the full 16 hours a day that we are awake. So that involves getting in the car and going somewhere and parking away from the entrance to the building. I like to set challenges to myself and be the person who is the furthest away from the, the door of the destination. And it almost becomes fun. It's a, it's a game with yourself, but you know, ultimately you, you're trying to do yourself some good. Absolutely. And for, for many people, uh, gamifying it and making it kind of this fun reward system, uh, can be really good. This is also where if you can bring in a support system, and make it a competition, but it has to be, you have to really watch out what you do in terms of the competition. Uh, there was a wonderful study on hand washing in hospitals, where there was a camera that was generally watching how much people wash their hands, and hospital employees are supposed to wash their hand when they go into the patient's room and right before they leave. And it was something along the lines of one out of 10 did it. Even when the camera was up and they knew they were being watched, still only about 10% did. And then they put up a scoreboard and they said, all right, this is the shifts, and we're going to show you how many people actually wash their hands. And immediately, the compliance shot up to something like 80 or 90% because they were able to be a little bit more competitive. It wasn't anything more than what they needed to do. So similarly, if it's something around step counts or anything like that, I really urge people, don't try to go for the high score things. Um, who gets the most steps? Because that can be difficult for certain people that may not be at that fitness level as you are. What if we say, who gets the most improvement? Because that's really what we're looking for, is those that aren't moving a lot, moving a bit more. If you're already you know, doing 20,000 steps or something ludicrous, that's fantastic, but you're not the one that we're concerned with. And that's why it's important to be part of a community. If you're really embarking on this for a first time, doing it by yourself is fine and works for some people. But if you, as you say, are with other people, whether it's work colleagues or friends outside of work, and you perhaps set targets collectively, it can be so much easier. And that's largely what I try to end up uh, doing is, is coming in and helping people figure that part out. Another one I really like that's great for the pandemic time is take a picture with your mailbox. Now, a picture with your mailbox is right out there. It's pretty easy. I hope most people would put their shoes on to go. 
Now that may start the habit for you to walk a little bit further because you're already out of the house. But if I said go for a five mile walk, far less would be compliant with that and would want to do something as strenuous as that. But finding also those little habits that you can then build up on because a lot of times those challenges, I think people go for something crazy and it doesn't have to be that. We need to start small and then build on that so it's sustainable. Let's talk about the some of the impacts of just increasing the amount of movement in your day that maybe people initially don't think about in terms of mental health and anxiety and, and the benefits of especially getting outside and getting into the sun. So getting outside and into the sun, there that's a, a slew of, of benefits as far as uh, mental health, absolutely. And I think so many of us uh, especially in the U.S. when there was the lockdown, people just felt, I can't even go outside necessarily, where that's not entirely true. It's not as if there's people on every single corner just waiting to come near you. Uh, we, we can find those places. I will say that it has been a little bit harder. Um, that's true. But even now, my wife and I, we, we tend to walk, and I usually, first thing in the morning, go outside to get the vitamin D. Interesting uh, side note on vitamin D is if you wear sunglasses, actually... Uh, a lot of the sunlight that goes through our eyes, our body uses to help generate some vitamin D. So as an aside, I don't expect people to do this, but I, I go usually shirtless so that I have more surface area. But if you're wearing sunglasses, that might be another place for you to go. But in terms of sitting and where that helps us, usually in a typical eight-hour workday, if we sit six or more hours, there was some research from Australia, found that that really increases anxiety and depression. So six or more hours is what we're looking at. Most of us tend to sit more than that. Um, and so given that you're already at that slight increased risk, going outside and having that amount of exercise is going to be able to reverse a good portion of that. And you say going shirtless, I suppose you should think about sunscreen, which is important, especially if you live in, I imagine Texas is still pretty sunny this time of year, We're recording this at the end of September. I'm in California. There are payoffs in other directions as well, aren't there? Absolutely. Yes. Um, and then you, you also have to just generally know your, your skin type and I, my specialty is definitely not dermatology in that sense, but yes, um, being safe and, and thinking about all of it. But a lot of it is just getting out in nature. Uh, it may just be going to a park um, or even just going to your backyard. Uh, walking around in city streets is nice and is absolutely better than nothing. But if you can find the time to actually go to, to nature uh, of some sort, it's going to be that much better for you as well. And the earlier in life you start doing this, the better. People listen to this podcast and sometimes think maybe because of the, the title that it's focused on older people over 50s, over 60s. And I'm always at pains to point out that actually it isn't. And probably the most important audience are the teens, 20s and 30s before people generally begin to think about aging particularly seriously, because they haven't felt it themselves, they haven't seen the grey hair, and maybe at that stage haven't experienced their parents or their grandparents even getting very old and, and suffering some of the, the consequences of, of a lack of health and positive behaviours as you grow older. So what I'm saying is I'd love to see more teenagers and early 20s appreciating exactly what you're talking about. And that can absolutely, that can be difficult to do. 
I'm currently working on, on a TED talk and I have another person that's going to be giving a different talk is talking about um, teen athletics and how uh, adults have really taken over a lot of it and they've made it about some kind of success and, and pursuing excellence and elite status in sports where a lot of that should just be about the kids having fun to a certain degree and that it's, it's alienating a lot of kids in, in that regard. Um, I recently gave a, a talk on a mental health summit for students and uh, I looked at some research that there's actually a decrease in the amount that kids move and it really sharply downturns right around fifth or sixth grade, which is where recess no longer becomes required for most schools. There's a big drop off there. And uh, that's essentially what happened for me since it was no longer required around around fifth or sixth grade. Uh, that happened as, as well. So I think there's definitely some area for there. If you're listening, you have kids, grandkids. I doubt that you're a child that might be listening to this. But if you're a teen, yes, move, but also find ways to, to sit less because it will benefit you in the long term. You've got a company, it's called Love to Move, and I know you work with corporate entities to try to, to spread that message. What exactly do you do? Primarily, there's a huge educational component, um, but I can talk about the general aspects of the exercise, the movement, your desk setup, let's formulate this culture all I want. Inevitably, people are individuals. So usually I go in and I discuss these general ideas so that people can understand and start implementing them. And then there are a lot of one-on-one -on -one sessions because I can tell you how to set up your monitor, but I had one gentleman that has six monitors. That's very specific and very different in that sense. And so what I work on is trying to find that way of what works for that specific team. Because talking even to a company that has a thousand employees, they're not going to all be able to use the same thing. We really need to break it down into the smaller teams of, you know, 25 or less. And what can that team do to support each other, especially now that we're remote? Culture plays a huge part into that. And so that's a lot of what I'm trying to work on. And I guess you might be working, in, especially now, in many cases, just one-on-one -on -one with individuals who are working at home and want to have that uh, optimized uh, in terms of the ergonomics of the scenario, their desk, and as you mentioned, the, the computer screens. But what about larger companies? And I'm just curious to know how much responsibility you see from company owners, from CEOs, focused on this issue? Is it something that they are thinking about enough? I, I've certainly come across one or two companies, one especially in Santa Monica here in California, that is very, very focused on the physical well-being of its employees to the point of building a huge uh, gym, you know, basketball court-sized gym, and employing during the day, facilities and even trainers to, to work and to merge into the daily regime of the workforce. That, that's maybe on the extreme end. I think it's excellent. But what sort of responsibility do you see? It, that is fantastic to hear. And unfortunately, that is the extreme of the, the, the good. Uh, there are some companies that don't much care for it. Um, they may give maybe like a discounted membership as part of a um, health insurance uh, portion of it just to help reduce the costs, but it really, there's a huge spectrum of all of it. The big thing that I see is that a lot of companies and a lot of CEOs, if they care, they will go, I'm going to try to change the physical environment. So they may buy a gym, they may buy standing desks, treadmill desks, whatever it may be, but then there won't be that cultural shift of where people feel that they are actually have the time to go in the middle of the workday 
or that it's perfectly fine for them to just break and start stretching in the middle of a meeting. And that may seem quite odd, but at the same time, if people feel so constricted, they're less likely to be constantly moving. And kind of what we talked about earlier, it's yes, exercise is fantastic for you. It is good for us, but it's also having the ability to move throughout the day. And I think that's where a lot of them are missing the mark is formulating that culture. Now, this is not to put all of the blame uh, entirely on CEOs and C-suite management. There's a lot because they feel like, hey, I bring out all these great ideas and the employees don't necessarily want to do this. We have to also ask the employees what is it that they want to do. Um, it's sort of the, the top-down and bottom-up approaches that, that work the best in the larger companies. But it, usually the best is when you take these larger companies and you break them up into the smaller segments. And I think there is a sense, uh, certainly around the world, sadly, that some people think that it's just a Silicon Valley thing, that it's a, a tech company thing to have all these, through their eyes, weird and wonderful benefits for their employees. And that uh, it's not something, maybe from a financial perspective, that most companies are able to do. Right. And so this is the part where we're going back to the, the productivity marker. And truthfully, it's it's millions of dollars, uh, hundreds of millions of dollars that companies actually end up paying in healthcare costs uh, as a result of all of this. So it does cost you in the long run. But this is where I bring it back again to the changing physical environment and changing culture. You do need to do both to have the best result possible. Um, but a lot of times that special equipment, all these special desks and the gyms, they tend to cost a whole lot. Changing culture really is more of a time investment than an actual financial investment that ends up paying off. And a lot of people talk about culture in terms of company culture, organizational culture. Um, really, when I'm saying culture, I'm talking about the culture around movement and around reducing sitting. But it is interwoven into that organizational piece so that people feel comfortable in doing that. That ends up costing the company less and then saves them more on healthcare costs down the road. Exactly. And that was going to be my next point, that there is clearly a, a global fiscal benefit to all of this. And if it's the problem is, I think it's it's difficult to quantify that sometimes. We can see it in, in global terms, the amount of money that is spent on later in life diseases that could have been prevented. But as far as an individual entity is concerned, it must be very difficult to, if you're doing the books and working out the cost of the, the treadmill and the, the balance balls or whatever you're purchasing for the office, as opposed to what is being saved for those people's uh, longer term health. That's a tough one, isn't it? Absolutely. And what I will say, because I, I get these questions a lot of, hey, should I use the, the yoga ball chair or should I get a treadmill desk? Most of the time, I say there are little habit changes that you can make that will cost nothing that are going to be far more important. Because if you can develop that habit of walking frequently throughout the day, okay, if you're consistent with it, maybe you should think about a treadmill desk. Because a treadmill desk only works if you actually use it. Uh, if it's just standing there in the corner, there's not a lot of use to it. Um, I do like to add this. As far as treadmill desks, standing desks, there is an increase in productivity. Treadmill desks, there's an initial decline in productivity because it's a lot more movement and you were saying some tasks at work are harder uh, to figure out. So yes, there is an initial decline, but usually the productivity does go up uh, eventually if people think about that. Most of the time, I think treadmill desks are overly expensive compared to standing desks. I frequently, right now I'm using uh, just a pile of books to prop up my monitor in order to have a standing meeting. I didn't have to buy those books, they were there. It's not something extra finding the habits and so thus the culture 
it just costs a lot less than buying all of that expensive equipment, which can work in the long run, uh, but you need to develop the habits around it first. Yeah, I'm having, as I mentioned earlier, I've used a, 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 a treadmill desk in, in my own home office and, and briefly for in a corporate office as, as well. I actually removed it from my home office because, uh, first of all, it's quite, it's big and cumbersome and it, it took up space that I actually wanted for something else. And the noise was a little irritating. I think from the early days, they've probably got a little quieter. But nevertheless, there is a noise there related to the moving of the belt and, and just its general use, which um, I didn't want to have anymore. So I've moved that away. Way. And I'm not totally convinced that they are the solution in the office environment. They can be a little awkward in the office. Absolutely. And that's where we have to think what is reasonable. Um, so a lot of times I hear the excuse that I don't want to go and work out in the middle of the day because then I'm sweaty and I have meetings that I might come to. Right. However, I heard, I, I do not remember the company name, but somebody was telling me that they worked for where it was perfectly fine to come to the afternoon meetings in gym wear. Because they knew that if people were working out and they would come in, it was acceptable in the culture. And so it was perfectly normal, and thus more people would actually be able to work out. Now, that can be different for different companies. And I, it's hard for me to imagine maybe a, a C-suite meeting where everybody is just wearing you know, gym shorts um, and sitting around. But I think that there's, there's room to grow, and I think we're realizing that. As I liked it, you mentioned at the very beginning, we prescribe exercise and we view this as this prescription and almost like a medicine to cure the problems with inactivity. And that's fair. Exercise is incredibly potent in that regard. But we have to ask ourselves, could we just do less of this inactivity portion and not necessarily do exercise, but just be slightly more active throughout the day so that we don't have to be taking exercise over and over and over um, as this medicine. So, uh, Stefan, tell me, and this is one of my favorite questions, in terms of your own daily life, from everything that you have learned and what we've been talking about, what do you do to focus on your physical and mental health as well? Oh, boy, have I got an answer for you. I've been preparing for this one. Um, so, first thing, it's always movement. I wake up and I move. Not a surprise. It's usually a walk. I find that a walk is easier for me because I don't have to think about what the movement is. I'm just walking. And I usually listen to a podcast. Um, definitely has been Llama lately um, that I've been listening to. But it really helps me kind of get everything moving. And it's almost meditative in a way. I kind of get my thoughts in order as I'm walking. And then I usually come home. Inevitably, I usually end up doing some kind of meditation or breath work. Um, sometimes they're combined into one because breathing itself could be a little bit of uh, meditative in that sense. And that helps me focus in on the mind. Just digging into the detail, how far do you walk? What sort of pace do you walk? Do you walk up hills? Yes. The nice thing about where I live is it's very hilly. So I don't really have a choice. I have to walk up hills, which I prefer. Um, that can be different for different people. Um, which was, it was an interesting encounter in Christmas uh, time. I actually had COVID and I had some complications post COVID that uh, caused me a lot of heart pain and standing up or walking for 15 minutes, heart pain had to sit down initially. And so for myself, training myself back up to being able to do all of this, I didn't do a lot of hills and I had to take the time and really listen to my body. Um, and so if you're encouraged, and I think I probably walk anywhere from uh, two to three miles in the morning, um, and the pace just sort of depends. Today it was raining, so I was walking a lot faster um, than I normally do to try to get through it all. Um, but it does truly depend for different people. Um, if you don't normally walk, five minutes is already a wonderful start um, as far as the distances. 
So you come home, you do a little meditation? Uh, meditation, yes, breath work. And then what I do is I usually start getting into work. Usually there's some coffee with this, but I start getting into work. Most of my work is done seated. I take breaks about every 20 to 30 minutes because that is, that's about the best time. And the best is to take it for two minutes, uh, some sort of movement for two minutes. It could be standing up for two minutes, walking for two minutes. I usually end up doing some sorts of stretches for hip flexors or for my back, just because I know that, especially if we're younger, keeping your spine mobile is so important. And that's where we really tend to stiffen up with age. Uh, stenosis, which is sort of the narrowing of the canal, it, it, it forces people to stoop over with age. Keeping the spine healthy is just very important. So throughout the day, 20, 30 minutes, I have a timer usually, it goes off and I'll do an exercise. Sometimes I'll go in the kitchen and I'll prepare something because remember, that's still movement because I'm standing up. Um, there's usually a workout sometime in the afternoon. Um, most of the time, some sort of strength-based workout that I just do at home, which as a physical therapist, I have a lot of fun exercises and it's always different. I always try to make sure it's fun because if I'm dreading it, I'm less likely to do it or enjoy it or I might cut it short. So making sure that it's fun and making sure that it's sort of the bigger movements, what people tend to call functional movements, something like squats and full body um, exercises. And if I keep on sitting for and working for the rest of the uh, afternoon, same thing, about every 20, 30 minutes getting up. And in the evening, my wife and I usually go for another walk. Now, that's a lot. And most people, for most people, that might be too much. What I will say is if I have a day that's full of calls, most all of my calls, I would say 98% of my calls are standing up. Um, it's very rare and there's usually a very specific reason why I might be sitting down for a call, um, a video call, and even a phone call. Because like you said, I feel like I think better, I move better, and everything is just a little bit more sharper when I'm up on my feet. But that's, that's the general day. Sounds like a good day to me. We focus, as you are well aware, and, and thanks for listening to the episodes that, that we've done so far, at least some of them, we focus on longevity and, and living long and aspiring to a, a great health span as opposed to lifespan. Lifespan's important. That's how long we live. But health span is the number of years that we live and enjoy optimum health. With that in mind, do you think about your own future and the decades ahead? Do you imagine your own longevity? Do you, and do you have a goal? I definitely have a goal. One of the things that even when I was in the clinic, actually even before when I was in grad school, I was working with a lot of older individuals. And usually, obviously, if you're working in the clinic, be it an inpatient clinic or anything like that, there are people that have some sort of impairments or sicknesses or anything like that that they're coming in with. So you're not looking at the mo the healthiest um, individuals. But inevitably, I tried to find, okay, what are the things that the ones that I go, wow, I want to be like that when I am older, that really um, they kind of, they, they shared. And one thing that I saw is they were generally very active and they were just, they were slender. They were, they, they were very active and agile and slender. And that was just a very interesting thing to me. We have a big culture right now around uh, bodybuilding and muscle building and being bigger and stronger. And I, I don't know if that's necessarily healthy for us or at least the way that we're doing it. So one of my biggest goals is I want to be that, that kind of person in my 80s or 90s that's still willing to run around a little bit and is able to squat without making, you know, a cacophony of sounds um, around all of that, which I will say I, I do that even sometimes now. So maybe I need to work a little bit harder towards that goal. Um, but that is definitely part of that. 
is is just this constant movement is something I want to keep. Stefan, this has been a, a really interesting, very useful insight into your work and your ideas. Thank you very much indeed. Thank you. It's a pleasure. My pleasure, too. And if anyone would like to find out a little more about Stefan's work, his company is Love to Move. I'll put some details into the show notes for this episode. You'll find them at the Live Long and Master Aging website, llamapodcast.com, double L-A-M-A podcast.com. You'll also find us at all of the major podcasting platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Pandora, Audible, to name a few. Llama is a Healthspan Media production. We'll be back with another episode very soon. Do take care. And thanks so much for listening. FlexBeam is a portable red light therapy device that's now being used by leading athletes, including the Norwegian tennis player Kasper Rude. Whenever you put the FlexBeam on, you feel it starts to work right away. I need something that can help repair all the fibers that I have broken in the surfs. The infrared lights penetrate your skin and makes the muscle tissue recover faster. FlexBeam, I keep it with me all the time. Recharge Health is offering Llama Podcast listeners an $80 discount on the purchase of a FlexBeam device. Go to the website recharge.health and use the code LLAMA at checkout. That's L-L-A-M-A. You'll also find the link in the show notes for this episode.